0: From the campuses of East Tennessee, State University in Johnson City, Tennessee, and Emory & Henry College in Emory, Virginia, this is Religion for Life. I'm John Shuck. Do you know what your minister really believes? Well, you may not. Uh, Your minister may not even know. Um, But there are ministers in the pulpit who, well, they kind of have to fudge it because they don't really believe the things that they are supposed to believe, and part of the problem was their seminary education. But my guest is Linda Lascola. She, along with Daniel Dennett, led a clergy study of clergy who are no longer believers, and they've published their results in a book called Caught in the Pulpit, Leaving Belief Behind. Linda Lascola is here to talk with me about unbelieving clergy and this book. Welcome, Linda, to Religion for Life.
1: Thank you very much, John. I'm very happy to be here. Uh, tell us a
0: little bit about yourself and and your interest in this work and how this book, Caught in the Pulpit, Leaving Belief Behind, came to be.
1: Well, the way it came to be was that I, I got an interest in religion uh, late in life. Uh, it was 2005 when I was uh, traveling in Rome and I was really looking at all the religious art and history in a way that I never had thought about it before, that this is something to be studied rather than just something to learn about in Sunday school. I was raised in a very liberal Catholic home, and religion was never forced on me in any way. And I I drifted away, as many young people do uh, in college, and I didn't really think about it all that much. And suddenly I saw it as a a topic of, of intellectual interest. So I started to study it. And when I did, I was uh, fascinated in many ways and also very confused as to how um, uh, students of religion, uh, people in seminary, could learn the same sorts of things I was learning and and still believe, quite uh, quite frankly. Uh, When I um, was uh, learning about the historical, that there is very little historical or archaeological basis for the Bible stories, um, I I just didn't understand how, how they could do it. And I wanted to know more about it.
0: So, how did you get connected uh, with Daniel Dennett?
1: Well, I contacted him. Um, he had written. I was familiar with his work in uh, Breaking the Spell, and um, which is a, a book he wrote, I believe, in two thousand six. That uh, was a bestseller. He was one of the four horsemen of the new atheism. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And and he wrote an essay for the Washington Post on faith form about Mother Teresa when it came out that she had. Uh, pretty much a lifelong uh, night of, what do they call it, the dark night of the soul, um, not knowing that Jesus was present anymore in her life. And when he wrote about that, he said he suspected that there were many clergy that felt that way. And uh, knowing that he'd just written a book uh, calling for uh, academic and scientific research on religion, It seemed to me that he would be interested in doing this kind of a study, and he was.
0: And so the two of you together uh, came up uh, with an idea of doing a clergy study, that is a a study of clergy who have uh, become unbelievers.
1: That's correct.
0: Uh, Can you tell Mm -hmm. us the difference between the clergy project and the clergy study that you and uh, Professor Dennett conducted?
1: Yes, thanks very much for asking that because people get it confused. The uh, clergy study uh, preceded the clergy project and is an academic study, that eventually of uh, 35 uh, people, uh, 27 of whom are clergy, um, that was uh, conducted through Tus University and is now completed. Now, the clergy project um, was something that was started up by me and Dan Dennett and Richard Dawkins and Dan Barker and a couple of Uh, anonymous, non-believing clergy, after the clergy study, the the, the, um, pilot study was completed. And it's an online private support group for clergy. It started with 52 members that were recruited by me and Dan Barker. Uh, And um, it now, it's three years later, it has uh, over 800 members.
0: And for full disclosure, I am a member of the Clergy Project. I, uh, uh, the, to be a member, you have to uh, claim that you don't have supernatural beliefs, which, which I do. And so it's, a, it's an online support group then for clergy. Some of them are leaving the ministry, and some of them, like myself, are, are quite happy in the ministry. And, That's uh, right. And hope to have the church evolve. Um, but um, So you, how, how did this study then um, uh, take place, and, and what were you hoping to find out?
1: We were hoping to understand uh, what the the cognitive dissonance was for for people who can learn as much as they did about religion in seminary, and then go out and preach it. Uh, We uh, conducted a qualitative study, I'm an expert in qualitative research, and what that means is it's uh, open-ended and exploratory. You don't go in with a list of questions at all, but rather uh, a list of issues to discuss, and leave enough time to um, discuss other issues as they might come up, because it is an exploration. Uh, the interviews um, lasted between an hour and an hour and a half, and we did, or I should say I did, because I conducted all the interviews, between one and three interviews with each person. I tended to do three interviews uh, with a, uh, a, a clergy person who was currently in the clergy, who was an active clergy uh, person, and uh, one or two interviews with people who were former clergy. I also did an, uh, a, uh, one interview each with uh, three um, seminary professors, and those I conducted by telephone.
0: And what was interesting as I was reading the book, Caught in the Pulpit, Leaving Belief Behind, in the course of these interviews is that the clergy really opened up uh, to you, and, and in many cases they, they hadn't had an opportunity, or, or you were kind of a first listening ear on this, on this real cognitive disna- dissonance that they were experiencing.
1: Yeah, they were uh, very eager to talk with me once they had the opportunity because, as you say, they hadn't really uh, had much of a chance I- at all to talk with people. Uh, some of them were very f- afraid to talk with me at first; they were afraid to set up the interviews. Uh, but once they got past that hurdle, um, it was it was wonderful for both of us because uh, they were um, they were just delighted to be able to to speak. And although I sometimes had to pull information out of them, which is part of the reason I did three interviews instead of just one, uh, it was very worth it in the end.
0: So what did you learn from this? What, what are some of the conclusions you made uh, with this study?
1: Well, um, we learned a lot of things. I, I, I like to think of them more as observations and as conclusions. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we observed uh, were, for instance, that they were mainly good people, they, um, in fact, oh yeah, I would have to say that anyone I talked to, you know, really came across like a good person. That's why they went into the ministry. They wanted to do good things. They certainly didn't go in to make a lot of money. They wanted to, you know, have some effect uh, on people's spiritual lives and uh, be uh, involved in the community. Uh, and they were trying to just make sense of what they were learning uh, in, in their own studies of religion, in, their, in the context that they had of faith. Um, one of the very interesting things, and I think very unsurprising when you think about it, is their politics. Uh, what what we found is, no matter how they started out, because we spoke to some people who were very liberal and some people who were very conservative, no matter how they started out, they became more liberal as their beliefs changed. Um, and you mean liberal,
0: I, liberal in a political sense, not necessarily a theological sense.
1: Both. Both, but I was, okay. I was thinking. I was thinking in a um, in a political sense. Definitely more liberal. Um, they uh, when you think about the fundamentalists, okay, they they think the Bible is in the, in the inerrant word of God, and they have all these ideas about homosexuality and, um, oh, and marriage mm-hmm. and and uh, women's role and so forth. And uh, as as they become less fundamentalists, then they become more politically liberal. It's it's really pretty simple.
0: Now, some of the, um, the issues of this cognitive dissonance happened when clergy went to seminary and, and learned all of these fascinating new things. Can you talk about uh, what the clergy you interviewed um, told you about their experience at seminary?
1: I can, and I can also tell you how I analyzed it. I found that there were four different reactions to seminary uh, that some experienced and others didn't. For instance, in some cases, people were just fascinated by what they were learning in seminary. They were fascinated by the history. They were fascinated by the uh, historical uh, analysis of the Bible. Um, And and so their seminary experience was positive. And it wasn't later uh, until they went into being um, pastors that they began to feel frustrated that they couldn't share this kind of information they had with their parishioners. Mm -hmm. Um, Another reaction was that they were in seminaries that they would be deeply troubled. And these are some of the fundamentalists. They would hear this stuff that they, you know, uh, that this debunking of what they thought about the Bible. And they were very, very troubled by it. Um, but they, they just decided to hold it in. They figured, well, if other people are able to handle this, I guess I am too. And maybe, maybe at some point it will make sense to me or I won't be bothered by it anymore. And, but in their case, they eventually became des- des- desperate to leave uh the ministry because uh their their um, their sense of being troubled never went away. Uh third reaction was that uh seeds of doubt were planted in seminary. They thought, hmm, this doesn't add up, that doesn't add up. But again they they continued on through and uh eventually uh after let's say years of ministry and going over biblical passages many times and trying to answer parishioner questions that they didn't really have good answers to their seeds of doubt turned into blossoms of disbelief. Hmm. But the last type I found was the the diligent student. It's not that they weren't thinking about this stuff. It's not that they weren't intelligent enough to see what some of the problems were, but they were not focused on that. They were focused on getting through their studies because they were determined to be ministers, that they went there uh, to learn, but they went there mostly to get the um, credential they needed to continue with their life's work. Mm And uh, so they learned all this stuff, and it wasn't much later um, until they became uh, disenchanted with it. Uh, they, again, started to educate themselves. Uh, they started doing more analysis and judgment than they had when they were in seminary, and um, they, that's when they started falling away.
0: I well, you know my experience at seminary was—I—I I, I don't know if it was actually spoken out loud or I just got the message—was don't share this particularly with your congregations. Mm-hmm. It's all kind of fine to learn it here, but really you got to go and 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 do the job. And and a lot of it had to do with because you need to be pastoral to these folks. Right. And and there are a lot of rules about you can't bring this from the pulpit. You can only do this in a study class. And and I—I I decided earlier on that. I got to break those rules because I thought it was important enough to share this (laughs) information because I thought it was great. Um, So it's interesting how the different clergy have reacted to that. And, of course, you know, like groups like the Jesus Seminar uh, in a similar way felt all this wonderful things that historical criticism has done for the last 200 years – ended at the clergy. They just didn't go past them. And so they had to do mm-hmm. an end around, uh, end around the clergy uh and present this to uh in, in writing and in language and in books that uh you know, non-professionals without all that lingo could get. And uh and so they've kind of bypassed that pipeline.
1: They've bypassed it um but I don't know that it has had that much of an effect or what kind of an effect yeah. they expected it to have. Uh, it, it's almost as though they're they are uh, they're not pastoral themselves. And I don't say that in a negative way, just that they don't have that mindset and um, right. perhaps, uh, you know, don't understand the difficulties people have in a pastoral setting.
0: If you're just joining us on Religion for Life, my guest is Linda Lascola. She, along with Daniel Dennett, have authored a book called Caught in the Pulpit, Leaving Belief Behind. It's the results of a clergy study with clergy, uh, anonymously, who have... Uh, left the beliefs of their church. And uh, you use the term um, in the book literals and then another the term liberals uh, mm-hmm. for those clergy who take the Bible teachings literally, literal, and liberals who are those who take them more metaphorically. And how are these non-believing clergy both similar and different?
1: Well, the way they're uh, similar is that they both uh, suffer a lot as, as mm. they go through these phases of becoming non-believers, uh, the, li- the literals, I think, uh, from my experience, uh, they suffer more because, uh, because they, they, let's say, go through a for- metaphorical stage in their own thinking. They, some of them try to think of uh, what, some of what they learned about the Bible as metaphors, and that, that may work for them for a while, but it doesn't work when they walk inside the church. They can't start talking about metaphors in their sermons. They can't start comforting their... Uh, parishioners uh, using metaphors because uh, that's not part of uh, the way their religion is set up um, so they suffer more and then I, this is an observation rather than a conclusion but it almost seems like they, they move to disbelief faster because there's no middle ground for them um, and there's, there's more daily reminders because many of them live in um, small uh, communities often in the south there's more daily reminders that religion is all around them and they um, feel more alienated than uh, liberal clergy. Now, the liberal clergy, um, they can can fudge it. They can um, say to themselves, well, when I say God, I don't mean the guy in the sky, but I do mean uh, the universal uh, being, universal light, whatever. And they can say God and mean something else. They can go through the whole creed. I believe in God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, creator of heaven and earth and all of that. And they can have a metaphorical uh, option for each of those words that, uh, that they can feel comfortable with. And, and not only that, but uh, they can know pretty well that a lot of the people in the parish are comfortable with it too. You know, there are a lot of uh, non-believers or questioners or doubters in their uh, uh, congregation who feel the same way.
0: Yeah, you know, I've often talked uh, with with other folks on this program, including Professor Dennett, that um, that the, the good thing about the, the the new atheist movement is that it forced uh, liberal clergy to kind of um, uh, be a little more forthcoming uh, on what uh, were definitions like uh, words like God and and how we appropriated all of this language and whatnot. Uh, and some of the resistance uh, that um, you and your study have received are from the liberal uh, theologians more than anyone else, isn't it?
1: Um, yes. Although, uh, what, what we noticed when we first uh, published our, our, pilot study, which is just the five, uh, clergy on the on faith forum was that the, uh, literals came out very strongly against it uh, as, as we sort of expected, but the liberals, uh, did not. They, they kind of didn't have all that much to say as far as I was concerned, uh, we were both sort of disappointed with their kind of wishy-washy response. And uh, now, what I see, or what I think I see, is the liberals have gone quiet. They're not saying anything at all about this kind of stuff. And I personally suspect that they just don't want to talk about it. It's it's just too threatening, and they don't want to talk about it at all. They're hoping it will go away, but they know it's not going to because they see what's happening within their own church. Without. Atheists like me and Dan Dennett talking about it.
0: Well, you know, uh, some of us might feel this is the really the elephant in the room. Um, mm-hmm. That uh, this is uh, that your clergy study here, and that was when I was going with the, these aren't wayward folks. Uh, that this is perhaps more um, common than we might think. Um, that there's kind of a whole system of keeping quiet to keep the system going. And that's and and uh, when we actually, if you actually really started to talk about what clergy believe or what parishioners really believe about the things they're supposed to say on Sunday, there might be quite a bit more variety than than they let on.
1: Yeah, there's really no doubt in my mind about that. And and I think you know whatever the next step is, it'll be getting getting that more out in the open. I don't think it'll be easy because there's going to be a lot of resistance to it, more from clergy and more from the religious establishment. And from the people in the pews, who, by the way, as you know, are sort of just drifting away.
0: Well, you know, I think you made a comparison in the book between uh, the women's rights movement in the 60s and, and liberal men who were for it. You know, they needed to be mm-hmm. for it. But on the other hand, being for it would, be, rec- would result in a loss of privilege and prestige, that there's mm-hmm. a sense in which clergy like myself, perhaps, yeah, we need, really need to change. But on the other hand, this system does keep me, you know— uh,
1: employed. Right. And, and you seem to be a unique case, and you and I will have to talk about this further, that, uh, that you managed to, you know, to maintain your position in this um, unusual kind of atmosphere. There are, there are clergy in the study, um, liberal clergy like you, who uh, I think could do what you have done. They're just, uh, they're just reluctant to do it. Uh, You know, I would never encourage them. I would say, go ahead, give it a try, you know, speak up and see what happens because they're too afraid and who knows it might backfire on them. Mm -hmm. It's not my role to encourage study participants to do that kind of thing. But truly, I think that uh, that it could happen. And what I would like to see is uh, a bunch of uh, liberal clergy like you um, stand up all at once and say, this is what we think, this is what we believe. We care very much for our congregations. We want to see religion uh, continue in the future, A good religion continue uh, and this is the way we want to see it happen and we can't do it without being true to ourselves and to our congregations. Uh, and uh, I think that the institutional religion, whatever that is, uh, I'm not you know exactly sure about that, it would, would, would have to uh, respond in a positive way to that or the whole institution would um, crumble.
0: Yeah, I think there's a lot that's going on. <laughs> I think there's a lot of <laughs> evolving that is happening and a lot of change. I mean, we, we look at the, those studies that are coming out now with the uh, young people, 33% now affiliate, saying they're just not affiliated with religion. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a huge change within a short period of time. I think we're, we're really undergoing change. In fact, in the book, uh, uh, some of the analysis talks about the, the need uh, that churches are, are going to need to evolve whether they like it or not, and some will not survive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the idea of the the what was it the transparency uh, now with the internet and with science and and uh, shoring up the old beliefs uh, and the and the and the system to keep those beliefs and those clergy in check is, is really starting to crumble apart.
1: Yeah, and I want to put in a plug at this point for uh, a new blog that uh, that I have up on the Pathios platform called Rational Doubt, mm-hmm. and it's an informal. Um, public area for members of the Clergy Project and and other uh, non-believing or doubting clergy to uh, express themselves. And we've had a lot of posts, uh, including one by you coming up, by the way. Uh, The idea there is to to provide a forum uh, and conversation for not only non-believing clergy but doubting clergy uh, that simply wasn't available at the time when I was conducting the study. what I've seen so far is a lot of non-believing clergy chiming in. Um, I don't see the the Dowden clergy commenting on the forum, but I'd like to think that they're listening closely, that they're tuning in and they're listening closely to what's going on there, because it would be an opportunity for them to be able to see what other clergy have gone through. And this is something that was not available a few years ago.
0: Linda LaScola, my guest, author of Caught in the Pulpit Leaving Belief Behind, co authored with uh, Daniel Dennett, uh, based on a clergy study of, of clergy who have lost their beliefs. And one of the sections that was really actually quite touching in the book is in regards to what these clergy have gained and lost uh, by letting go of their beliefs. Uh, certainly, loss of family and friends and prestige. Uh, Jerry DeWitt uh, was on this program before, and he talked about the, all the various losses that he had when he went went through all of this. But there's also a liberation of, of sort. Uh, uh, what did you make um, in, in, of the responses to that question of what have you gained and lost?
1: Well, I'll tell you what, John, I was fascinated by it, because I made a point of asking that question at the end of, of each interview. And I did it uh, more for myself, uh, because I wanted uh, to have a, a, an easy wrap up, and I thought that obviously the end of the interview, after they had been speaking for a long time and thinking about these things, would be a good time for them to be able to, to do that. And, uh, and what I found was that they really lit up uh, when we talked about gains and losses. Uh, that was one way in which they were, they were all alike. And they were really able to, at that point to rattle off what they had gained and what they lost. And um, as you mentioned, they, they felt the loss of uh, family and prestige and so forth. But they, uh, although in some cases their lives were very, still very difficult because they were still in the clergy and some of them had decided to remain in it, they, uh, you could tell by the looks on their faces as well as the, the, their words, that they felt a huge intellectual freedom and they were, they were just, they were happy, they were relieved that they had gone through this process and they had come out the other side with uh, uh, not only advanced knowledge, but uh, being able to accept themselves, it was uh, it was just a huge relief to them, and it was a, it was delightful to see that.
0: You know, I think of this. I think of this in terms of as a minister to uh, people in my church when I present uh, different ideas and 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 changes and challenges. And we, there's a loss. There's a loss of comfort. There's a loss of assurance. There's a loss of the being uh, covering you and holding you in his or her arms or whatnot. But there. But on the trade-off for that, which. I think, in the end, is going to be a better trade-off is that freedom, uh, that freedom to uh, explore and to grow, and it's mm-hmm. a little it's a little scary. But I, I think if we offer that, that, that that there is a goal at the end of this thing, it isn't all just loss. <laughs> what, what's really possible is to get a better sense of reality and of yourself.
1: Yeah, it isn't. Uh, you know, the the losses are are, are tangible, um, mm-hmm. but uh, the gains from what I could see from these people, totally make up for it.
0: One of the questions that I ask myself often is is whether or not religious institutions, uh, whether they be congregations or denominations, uh, can evolve successfully uh, beyond supernaturalism. Um, Did the clergy you interview ask that question to...
1: They didn't ask that question. Uh, I sometimes raised it in the sense of saying, um, asking if they would be interested in being um, Unitarians, uh, Unitarian mm-hmm. ministers. And uh, uh, some of them said, that uh, most of them said they, hadn't, they didn't really, hadn't really thought about them. Some of them didn't really know what Unitarians were, and these are some of the fundamentalists in the South. Uh, and when I explained it to them, and I, what I tried to do in the most objective way Uh, It didn't sound good to them. They wanted out. They didn't want some sort of other kind of religion. They just wanted out of religion, period. Um, And uh, in the three years since the study, uh, well, five years since the study started and two years since it's been completed, there's been a lot of change. As you know, there's all these humanist communities popping up. Mm -hmm. And some of the people who took part in the study are now uh, organizing humanist communities. And I can could, I could mention their names because Jerry DeWitt is one of them. I know he's been on your show. Mm-hmm. He's got a humanist community started in Lake Charles, Louisiana. And uh, Mike Alts, who also participated in the study and gave me permission to use his name, has started a humanist community in Houston. And there are others starting around the country. This is a new thing. And I think that this is where, I like to think this is where religion is going. I don't know how fast the... Um, traditional religions are going to get uh, on the bandwagon on this. I think they're very threatened by it. But I hope that's where it's going. I, I, I want to see good religion survive. And I see these, uh, the liberals that I talk about in the book who are doing everything right by a social justice uh, uh, point of view. Uh, I want them to survive. And I think the only way they can survive is if they go the next step and give up the supernatural, which most of them, at least on a clergy level, don't believe in anyhow.
0: Yeah, I think that's just fascinating how that supernatural realm just kind of uh, is there, um, and in, in the sense that I mean, most of the things that we do in church don't even involve the supernatural. I mean, right. rare, rarely does anything that the I expect a divine being to come and you know mow the lawn or anything else. <laughs> and 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 yet um, for some reason, just uh, just saying stating the obvious and letting that go uh, really is a, is is a is a big ditch to jump over. Um, but, but I often think it can be done.
1: Yeah, I think it can be done. And, and I think, you know, it will be at some point in the future in defense of some liberal clergy now, um, then I don't think they're just, um, afraid from, a from a financial point of view, uh, Mm -hmm. to, to state their beliefs. I think that, uh, a lot of them, um, don't want to harm their, their parishioners. I mean, they, they want to be supportive of them. And, uh, um, they, you can't exactly walk in church one day, or they think they can't, and say, listen, I don't, I don't believe in God. I think what we're doing here is a lot of good stuff, but I don't believe in the supernatural God that I talk about or you think I talk about in church. Um, because uh, that's a big hurdle for people to get over. And, but, but, they ha- but they have to start doing it. It has to start being done. It's, it's not fair. It's treating people like children. And, um, you know, the change is on the way.
0: Linda Lascola, we're just out of time. Thank you for uh, being with me today on Religion for Life. She, along with Daniel Dennett, have written an important book, Caught in the Pulpit, Leaving Belief Behind, and she also blogs at Rational Doubt, uh, The Clergy Project, and The Clergy Study. Uh, Thank you for this work, and thank you for being with me today on Religion for Life. My pleasure. You've been listening to Religion for Life, a program at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. My name is John Shuck. I'm the minister at the First Presbyterian Church of Elizabethton, Tennessee. Our website is fpcelizabethton.org. For more information about Religion for Life, including links to podcasts, go to religionforlife.com. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, hear us on iTunes. Religion for Life is co-produced by WETS-FM in Johnson City, Tennessee, and WEHC-FM, Amber, Virginia. Be well.